Welcome to the HC Insider Podcast, a podcast dedicated to the commodities sector and the people within it. I'm your host, Paul Chapman. Today we're talking natural gas. What are some of the key trends from 2023 and what should we be looking out for in 2024 and beyond? Our guest is Anne-Sophie Gobo, Global Research Scholar at the Centre on Global Energy Policy at Columbia University and based in Paris. As always, you can really support the show by leaving us a positive review on the platform you're listening on. It spools up those algorithms and allows us to continue to get great guests. And as always, I hope you enjoy the episode. Anne-Sophie, welcome to the show. Thank you for inviting me. So we're having a bit of a, an end-of-year look back over the natural gas markets, what are the key and significant events and what might they presage for next year? And then again, then we're going to look at 2024 and some of the key things for the community to look out for in what direction prices may be headed or policies or whatever it may be. So, so I'm looking forward to the discussion. Let's start with 2023 and some of those key trends. Can you, perhaps we can just start with the market. Can you just give us an overview and, and sort of what you felt were the most prominent things to look at when we're looking at 2023? Well, I think when we started uh, 2023, everybody was, of course, focusing on Europe because of uh, the very difficult situation in 2022. And there were, to some extent, some expectations that the year 2023 would be particularly difficult, but in fact, it was not. Uh, it was not because we had a relatively mild winter, because we ended up as uh, a the winter with relatively full storage. So in the end, uh, Europe had better year than expected. Still, gas demand dropped quite substantially, I have to say, both in the residential and commercial sector, as well as in the power generation sector. Industrial gas demand is still relatively flow has not, I mean, starting to recover a little bit, but is not coming back despite the much lower gas prices. Maybe I should have actually started with that, which is the gas prices are much lower than what we had in 2022. There were some expectations that they could actually remain high, but in fact they are, let's say, roughly twice as high as they used to be before the whole crisis started. So that's the first thing. In terms of the United States, uh, we are looking at maybe uh, a slight increase. I think there, there have been different trends. There has been uh, one trend which was much lower residential and commercial demand, but an increase in the power generation uh, sector. Also, one key market to look at, and this is where a lot of the focus was at the beginning of the year, was China. Because China right now is the third largest gas consuming country uh, behind the United States and Russia. It's about uh, 380 billion cubic meters market. This is a quite big market. People tend to forget that, which also more than half of the demand is actually covered with uh, by natural gas production, domestic natural gas production. And, and last year, it was quite exceptional. Gas demand dropped in China which in fact led to a very substantial decline in terms of LNG imports, which actually freed LNG to go towards Europe. And the big question mark, given that there was no more zero COVID policy in China, was to what extent gas demand in China would recover. So it has somehow recovered. I mean, we are looking at uh, 
plus 6%, and indeed there has been a somehow recovery of both LNG imports and pipeline imports, but this is not as strong as people were expecting. So that's uh, what is uh, particularly important. There has not been a very, very acute and strong recovery uh, in terms of LNG imports in particular. China is going to be the largest LNG importer in 2023 again, after losing to Japan in 2022 and being back in the position it was in 2021 but it's not importing as much as it was in 2021. So quite a quite important thing. That's it's fascinating. Can, can we sort of stay on that demand story? Because as you've highlighted there, there's either lower than expected or even drops in demand in, in Europe, in US in some sectors, and then in, in China. W- what's going on there? Can you help sort of unpick that regionally? And is there any threads to tie together from a global picture? Well, the global picture is that natural gas demand after dropping uh, in 2022 is probably going to be on average relatively stable in 2023. I mean, we still need to gather all the data, especially in regions which usually are less good at giving data, like, you know, Africa, CIS countries, Russia now is particularly complicated, but probably is going to be at the same level. But in the key markets, which are usually observed, so Europe, uh, North America, Asia, so Northeast Asia, I mean, uh, we can see that the trends are going, of course, there is a weather, which is always particularly uncertain. And it's very important to understand that last year in 2022, the weather was particularly mild in Europe. It was also mild in 2023 in the United States. And of course, you know, the weather in the Northern atmosphere has a particularly significant impact on residential and commercial gas demand. So it can really very rapidly change your market from being loose to being tight. We have seen that back at the beginning of 2021, that was actually you know, the first precursors of the increase, the progressive increase in gas prices in 2021. Everybody was very relaxed at the end of 2020. And then suddenly we had this very cold episode in Asia and markets started to tighten. So weather is particularly important. Uh, What is also very important, for example, in Europe, in the power generation sector, are two things. The first one is that power demand in Europe has been declining. And that may be something that people have not noticed because everybody is about electrification, electrification. Well, actually, we are electrifying to some extent because, you know, more heat pumps are being added but the economy is a little bit struggling and there has been a lot of efforts in terms of energy efficiency. So electricity demand is down. And not only that, but the second effect on the gas demand in the power sector is that hydro has been recovering. And the loss in hydro in 2022 was really substantial. I mean, uh, you know, the the European, the EU power demand is about 3000 terawatt hours. And we lost 60 terawatt hours of hydro in 2022. So this has, I think, probably almost entirely recovered. So that's one thing. And on top of that, we have the increase in wind and solar. So this is putting pressure on gas demand in the power sector and also coal fire generation is done. So that's very important to understand that. Also in Europe, well, 
industry is not quite recovering. I mean, we are seeing that industry is struggling, trying to understand really what's happening there, but it seems to be a mixture of not everybody was actually impacted by the crisis in 2022. Some people had multi-year contracts and they are only seeing uh, very high gas prices or higher gas prices in 2023. It really depends on how your contract was set up. Uh, second thing is that you know, Europe has still relatively high gas prices and therefore they can be undercut. Producers of, let's say, ammonia, for example, can be undercut by importers. So if your imports are cheaper than what you can produce domestically, then we can see that some companies are actually importing more. So that's also something which is undermining uh, natural gas demand in Europe. In China, I think there is basically a general trend of economic recovery. There is also something which is hydro. Um, hydro has been declining quite substantially in China over the first part of the year. It has been quite dramatic. And of course, you know, what is happening in some parts of the power generation has an impact then on, on gas fire generation. Even if gas fire generation in China, when you're looking at the share of natural gas in power generation, it's really, really small. But, you know, in BCM terms, this is still quite substantial. So these are all the things happening. I should add that also one relatively surprising market or surprising result for a market was what has been happening in Japan. Japan has seen a recovery in nuclear generation. For example, over the past few months, we have seen uh, the Takahama reactor, so two plants coming back online. These plants were offline since Fukushima happened. So they were offline for the past 12 years. And now they are finally coming back. So, you know, we are seeing progressively that some reactors which were completely gone are coming back. And it seems to be a push from the government because, you know, with the relatively high gas prices internationally, even if Japan was not being as much as Europe, you know, there is this push to have nuclear generation coming back because at the end of the day, it's cheaper, it's base load, etc. And, and Japan has been experiencing some periods where the reserve margin, the power reserve margin was very, very low. So I think mm. they also have, from a power security point of view, an interest in bringing those nuclear power plants back online. Yeah, nothing fixes high prices like high prices. Indeed. Let's weave that into the supply side and perhaps participants as well, because this time last year, obviously, and it seems a very long time ago, but there was deep concern over uh, over Europe and the winter and, and building up those natural gas storage in the wake of Russia's invasion of Ukraine. And one of the sort of the key, I guess, for me, from a distance, the highlights of 2023 have been the market's response, particularly LNG supply and how the, the resources, the effort, the money, the political will has gone into that. Can you talk a little bit about is this also a story of perhaps demand being destroyed through various weather, you know, hydro and so forth, but also more structural issues, but also is it a supply story as well? You know, the thing is that even before this whole crisis started, you know, when we were looking at the period 2022 to 2025, from a 2020 or a 2021 perspective, we knew that this period would be a tightening of the gas market. That was going to happen simply because the addition in terms of LNG export capacity were not as high as they had been before. So we knew there would be a tightening. And of course, you know, this has happened on top of the biggest loss that we have ever seen in terms of Russian gas supply. So when everything started, we had 
what we were already in a crisis mode at the end of 2021. If you correctly remember, prices were at $30 per MMBTU. And to that crisis mode, we added another crisis, which was a supply crisis with Russian gas supplies being progressively reduced, by the way, by the Russians. It's not the Europeans who cut Russian gas, it's Russia which cut the Russian gas. Very important to remember that. And what happened is that, well, LNG came to the rescue. So in 2022, we lost about 80 billion cubic meters of Russian pipeline gas supply in the European Union out of 140 billion cubic meters. So that's quite substantial. Europe, European Union is a 400 BCM market. So we lost 20 percent, which is very substantial. And we had about 50 billion cubic meters, a little bit more of LNG coming to the rescue. Coming because prices in Europe were record high. And of course, you know, economics 101, you take advantage of the market conditions. It's true to say that the um, over pipeline suppliers, so the alternative source of supply, did respond, but not to the same extent. So we got a little bit more gas from Norway, a little bit more gas from Azerbaijan, less gas actually from North Africa. And we got more gas from the UK because the UK acted as a transit country for LNG towards Europe. Because the fact is that when the whole thing started, we before thought that we had plenty of LNG import capacity, 250 billion cubic meters in the whole of Europe, but it was not located where it was needed. It was not located in Northern Europe, and that was a problem. So, uh, you know, the fact that we were able to get more LNG through the United Kingdom, a little bit also through Iberia, and the fact that uh, we were able also to deploy floating storage and regasification units, in particular in Germany, relatively fast, did help a little bit. And I guess that's going to be a key story for 2024 and beyond. Um, I guess the, moving on to the, I guess, the political aspect of this, or at least the policy aspect of this, when you look back at, you know, we've obviously came out of a fraught year in 2022 and energy security was very much front and centre for policymakers around the world, as well as the energy transition. But in some ways that took you know, the second part to the energy security. What has been sort of major highlights or events in 2023 that you think are, are relevant and prominent that have shifted thinking for future years? Well, I think, you know, in general, uh, first of all, the fact that um, energy security came back on top of the agenda. And this was again reaffirmed during 2023. I think also in 2022, I, I mean, as a European working for an American university, I was getting very often some questions like, why are the Europeans not buying gas, not buying LNG on a long-term contract? I mean, that was questions from the Qataris and also questions from a lot of US players. And I was like, well, you know, you have to consider that a new LNG facility would probably start in, say, 26, 27, 28. If you have a 20 year long term contract, you are going to be at the end of the 40s. And that for European utilities, which are supposed to be, um, you know, net zero by 2050 or even before, is potentially quite problematic. But now I see that more and more uh, companies are signing some long term contracts. And we have seen not only 
like the utilities signing long-term contracts in order to replace natural gas from Russia in particular, but also some final end users, some industrials also signing a long-term contract. That's the first one, a very important one. I think there is still a very important question mark on, on the future of natural gas and what the impact of this episode, relatively long, long episode of uh, high gas prices is going to have on the future of natural gas. I mean, uh, what is interesting is that um, every single year, the IEA, for example, forecasts for uh, natural gas demand are going down, 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 and down. So is there a reality behind that? Or is there going to be a rebound? Is, are we going to end up with much higher gas demand than what the IEA is saying in any of its scenarios? That's a very important question mark. But for me, um, what happened in 2022 was also the fact that Europe priced out some markets, in particular countries like Pakistan and Bangladesh. And these countries, they couldn't afford natural gas. And I think, you know, suddenly LNG or natural gas in general was never available nor affordable. And the question is, to what extent are they going to continue to trust natural gas and LNG in particular? Or are they going to turn to other sources of energy? And the question mark is whether this means more and more renewable or potentially coal. And that, I think, is a very important question mark, especially since we are now in a situation where renewable energy, yes, there is a lot of focus. However, uh, the cost of financing has gone up and the cost of you know some of these renewable technologies has gone up as well because of of raw materials cost so that's you know a, a very important second thing i think there are a lot of people who are also asking themselves questions about what the hell is china doing because i mean i'm not sure whether you saw my some of my posts on linkedin but china before 2021 its long-term LNG contract profile was some sort of a baller hat, you know, increasing, very flat, and then decreasing. And now it's really a picky hat with a very strong increase from now to 2030, roughly, and then coming down. Because they have been signing a lot of long-term LNG contracts. Like we have never seen that many long-term contracts being signed. And on top of that, the Chinese were the very first to sign the very famous 27-year long-term contract with Qatar, which I think, you know, is, is the, the first one with signed OPEC was like 4 million tons, 27 years. Never seen that mm. in the whole LNG history. So that, you know, shows something. So, People are saying China may become the new balancing market, which was the role that Europe had before. But that is not sure because, you know, what made Europe be the balancing market was essentially three things. Uh, first, very large storage capacity, about 100 billion cubic meters in total. Second, the fact that there was some switching between coal and gas in the power sector, depending on the prices. Of course, the fact that we have spot prices, get spot prices in Europe. And finally, this kind of equilibrium, this balance between Russian pipeline gas and LNG. 
and that helped Europe being the balancing market. Now, when you are looking at China, the storage capacity is not that large. The equilibrium between pipeline gas, yes, we have a lot of pipeline gas, but the pipeline gas is not based on spot prices. And where the coal and gas switching, uh, you know, is probably a little bit difficult. So we're not looking at all at the same thing. And, and, and simply speaking, I mean, you know, spot prices in China, okay, there is probably a little bit of spot indexation there and there, but, you know, this is not how the market is working. And there is still, of course, quite a lot of interference uh, from the state and from the national companies. So it's not exactly the same thing, but, but, but we are seeing that some Chinese companies are becoming more and more active and in particular selling uh, a lot of natural gas, a lot of LNG back uh, to other countries, including Europe. Fascinating. Uh, and, and from a geopolitical perspective, I mean, we we were the first to point that out in September 2022, is the fact that despite the war, the European Union is importing natural gas from Russia. They are not only importing natural gas by pipeline through Ukraine, of all things. You, you would have thought, you know, somebody would have managed to destroy the pipelines, but no. No, no, and we're still importing natural gas through Ukraine by pipeline, much lower than what we used to import before, but still about, you know, roughly a third of what is contracted and importing through the Turk Stream pipeline, which is this pipeline, which is crossing uh, the Black Sea. So in total, you know, this is about 25 billion cubic meters, which is much lower than the 140 BCM that used to be imported. but. You know, still, still some Russian pipeline gas. But what we really pointed out in our paper in September 2022 was the fact that, oh, by the way, there is still Russian LNG coming to Europe. And guess what? It's increasing. <laughs> Which, you know, I mean, uh, from a European politician perspective, shouldn't be happening. But it's happening because the Yamal LNG plant is very close to Europe. And guess what? You know, they made exactly the same math as the US uh, uh, people who were, were off-taking US LNG. It's Europe. Gas prices are high. It's close. We go there, of course. Economics 101, you know, perfectly rational. But this is really a, a big nightmare for European politicians. And since the beginning of uh, 2023, I could hear some noises in Brussels. Oh, we should maybe ban Russian LNG. But, you know, if you want to ban Russian LNG, then you need to have uh, a decision from the 27 member states, which is never going to happen, because guess what? We are still importing Russian pipeline gas anyway, and there are some countries which are not going to give up on Russian pipeline gas. And the countries which are importing Russian LNG, including France, Spain, and Belgium, they, they, I mean, nothing is happening. I mean, the Spanish minister at the beginning of 2023 was saying, we absolutely need to do something. We need to reduce our imports of Russian LNG. And in the end, they have not been reduced. So we are still in the same position. This is a problem which is going to be solved when there is enough LNG on the market, which is probably going to be post-2025. When as I always say, the cavalry arrives with US LNG, Qatari LNG, Canadian LNG, maybe Mozambique LNG, etc. So the, all the projects which are currently under construction.
fascinating i mean a lot of this we've covered in bits on the on the podcast and you've been anticipating each and one of my questions and you know it's a it's a as as you're highlighting it's a complex story but it's central to geopolitics and obviously energy security and gas's role as sort of the balancing energy in in that has has become fascinating let's before we talk about the long range and in particular what happens in 2025 what does that mean for us prices etc and we've 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 had that question asked a couple of times but also the longer term gas demand picture which you've also highlighted let's just i guess in the here and now this this conversation will go out toward the end of december you know what is the state right now of of you know expectations around weather around storage in various parts of the, of the world you've described and could could we be in after such a mild winter last year in for a bit of a shock is that a, is that a possibility okay i am not in the weather forecast business i think uh, there are people who are much more clever than i am to do that however this it could always be uh, a danger. I mean, this is what everybody has been saying. You know, last year we had a very mild weather in Europe, especially the last two weeks were very, very mild. If you have very cold weather, then it would be a double whammy because it would be, you know, coming back to normal and on top of that being very cold. And, you know, I don't think people are used to extremely cold weather anymore. But we are we have been getting a little bit of that. I don't know whether you paid attention, but there has been a hell lot of snow in Europe over the past couple of days. So, you know, we we, we are in normal winter conditions again. Uh, now can it be very cold, like, you know, uh, the polar vortex that you guys experienced in 2021 or the beast from the east that we had in 2018? That's, you know, the key question. Having an episode of very cold weather for maybe one or two weeks would, I would not say uh, put Europe in danger, but would definitely leave storage a little bit lower than what has been the case in 2023, where basically we ended up uh, the, the, the storage um, withdrawal period with relatively high storage uh, rates, which basically meant we didn't need to import so much during summer. So this is why you know, everybody has been relatively relaxed. But I would say that in Europe, I think people are more relaxed in general. There is gas, there has not been any major incident. Yes, there can be a little bit on downside in particular if for some reason we no longer get any Russian pipeline gas. Uh, the thing is that we shouldn't be complacent. And I hear sometimes people saying, oh, you know, you know, there is so much uh, LNG import infrastructure now, we are not using that, why are we investing? Uh, you know, rule number one, I mean, you know, things happen. I, I call that the Murphy law. You think you're fine, and then suddenly you have a problem, which can be a combination of very cold weather and maybe no wind, which can happen at the same time. And maybe you have a problem with one of your infrastructure. So N minus one criteria, you need to have enough infrastructure to import in case something does happen. And, you know, this is energy security 101. So people need to be a little bit careful about that. Mm. But I would say that I think I checked this morning, uh, Europe is at 94% storage level from two days ago. So we are really fine. It would take really a lot to put us in a difficult situation. This being said, gas prices, spot prices are going to be volatile for the years to come. 
And we have seen that already over the past few months when, you know, the strikes in Australia, uh, the conflict uh, with Israel, everything, you know, every time you had a little bit of a blip on the market, suddenly whew, prices were extremely volatile. So this is here to stay. The HC Insider podcast is brought to you by HC Group, a retained search, intelligence and advisory firm focused solely on the global energy and commodity sector. With six locations across Asia, Europe and the Americas and over 50 consultants. To find out more, go to our website, hcgroup.global. There, you can also sign up for our HC Insider content for more interviews and white papers on relevant trends and talent impacts in the commodities world. Okay, that's that's fascinating and certainly for our community. So looking at 2024, I guess it, there's sort of this dichotomy that we seem to have, we've, we've reached somewhat a new normal in, in the very volatile year of, of 2021, where, you know, energy flows shifted thoroughly and comprehensively. So, so there's sort of this new setting. Well, I would argue, like your views on it, have we sort of had a, we've got a new normal in place now? What, what is driving that volatility then? And do you see it being a more volatile year than 2022, which was a lot calmer than the previous year? I, I mean, it's difficult to range on the volatility. It really depends on what kind of things may happen. But definitely because, you know, we are on this very difficult line where, I mean, you know, the market is still tight and is going to remain tight for the next year. Anything which happens, especially, you know, anything which will remove supply will tend to have a particularly important volatility on the market. Uh, that is absolutely certain. The fact is that more and more we will also have to take into account the fact that, uh, you know, one of the buffers that we had before, you know, I was mentioning the fact that Europe was a balancing market and that there were things to basically smooth, you know, everything. Uh, one very important element was the interaction between LNG and Russian pipeline gas. That is gone. I think, you know, Russian gas is never going to come back to the levels it was before. And I don't think there is any intention from Russia to be like the one which is going to smooth the global gas market. So this is totally gone. And eventually, you know, what is happening between coal and natural gas in the power sector will be gone as well. And instead, we are going to have more and more uh, interactions between natural gas and renewable, which means more and more volatility also from that side. And there is another thing on the other side, which is what is happening with the US market, because suddenly we have been adding a big new demand element to the US market, which is LNG exports. And this is increasing and is definitely more than 10% now and is going to continue to increase because when you are adding up all uh, the capacity uh, under construction, we are at about 230 billion cubic meters considering all the projects. And I'm not even talking about, you know, the exchanges with uh, Mexico, etc. So that's very substantial. Now, Given what happened in 2020, you might remember that the flexibility on the supply side in 2020 was actually US LNG. Mm -hmm. So there might be a lot of changes, a lot of variations happening for the US market, absorbing also some of the shocks. But this time as a supplier. So being in the role of, you know, the sort of marginal supplier, but not really wanting that role. 
which is going to be a very interesting perspective to take into account. And I, I don't, I don't think it was planned like that, you know. I mean, uh, U.S. energy, I mean, U.S. energy projects, you know, in their perspective, they are supposed to run flat. And the off-takers, when they sign the long-term contracts, they also expect to take the LNG and to make money with it. But in practice, who knows? And this is going to be a very substantial amount of gas to deal with. I mean, just to, for you to understand, also by 2028, when everything which is under construction has been built, US and Qatar will represent about 45% of global LNG export capacity. That's a lot of concentration. Mm. That's a lot of concentration. And doesn't that also, we've, we've, this has come up on the show before, there is a concern on another source of volatility coming back to the political side is if we suddenly see this large draw on US natural gas later, later next year into 2025, there is a concern about the domestic politics there, right? Just as we see with oil. Absolutely. You know, gas prices are a very visceral uh, element for, for constituents and for, for industry. And in the end, some of these facilities could be turned off with the stroke of a pen, stroke of the pen risk. I mean, how how significant is that? And are we seeing any of those types of conversations start to bubble up at the political level? Well, they did last year. So I don't know whether you paid attention, but in September last year, there were some serious considerations about potentially restricting US energy exports. I saw that flying from my desk and I was like, are you just completely insane? I mean, in Europe, we are currently experiencing 60, 70, 80 dollars per MMBTU. If you are, okay, I understand the US was at about 9 dollars per MMBTU, which historically was very high. But if US is cutting LNG exports now, I mean, that would be such a betrayal for from the European perspective, because, you know, at that time we were so concerned, literally, you know, uh, fearing that we would have a disruption during the winter. We didn't know that the weather in the end would be mild. And and I, I am pretty sure that the Russian president would have been trolling your president, Mr. Biden, to no end. So, no, honestly, I mean, you know, it's the US which is cutting natural gas to Europe. I mean, seriously, can you can you understand the optic of that? But it could very well be that Next year, let's say, you know, August or September, if for any reason gas prices in the United States are high again, I can very well see a stream of industrial gas users coming to the White House or the Capitol saying, what the hell is going on? We can't be paying these high gas prices, especially since the gas prices in Europe would potentially have come down a little bit or have stayed at the current levels and said, we need to cut Exports. Mm. I, I remember it's, it's going to be a few months before the presidential election. So that could happen. That could very well happen. Yeah. And a lot of bets have been made on ch- cheap gas around the Gulf, right? And building up the chemicals industry here at the expense of, of Europe. And I know, I know you have to go. So I want to just come back to one final question. And, you know, I'd encourage listeners to, to follow you on your, on your papers on LinkedIn as well. You, you you mentioned earlier on in the discussion about the IEA's forecasts, you know, essentially gas over the long range slowly decreasing in, in, in demand. Is there anything that gives you pause about that? And, and, and where do you what, I guess, elements do you think we should be looking out for that might actually mean that gas demand is going to be on the trending upwards over the over the longer term? Um, well, I think, you know, the future of natural gas is in Asia. 
there is absolutely no question mark about that. This is where, you know, population is concentrated. This is where we have a lot of coal. This is where it could potentially happen, whether we are looking at China, at India, but also at all the Southeast Asian countries. So that's something very important to look at. That I think the, the, the problem number one and, and whether and to what extent uh, Asia is going to be the large consumer, not only in terms of natural gas, but also in terms of LNG. And in order to be a large consumer of LNG, well, they need to also make investments in, in particular, regasification terminals. Why am I insisting on that? This is because, you know, we might have here some financing restriction from some international organizations. The second thing I would say is that, I mean, it's a little bit different perspective, but from a geopolitical perspective, there has been a little bit, you know, Europe and the West in general against uh, the rest of the world. So I mentioned, you know, Europe cutting to some extent Bangladesh and Pakistan because, you know, they were pricing out these countries by taking the LNG uh, because they were able to pay. But there was also some sort of very strange behavior whereby we have been saying to African countries, don't, don't use the gas for your own economies. This is bad. Uh, this is going to be uh, emitting too much CO2. You don't want to enter this. And even countries which have their own natural gas assets. And what happened when the crisis started, you had a certain number of heads of state, like like Olaf Scholz, Georgia Meloni, etc., going to African countries and saying, can you please, please, please invest into LNG export terminals because, you know, uh, we need that gas. But at the same time, you still have your bad banks saying, oh, yes, but, uh, you know, we don't want to invest into too much natural gas in uh, Africa because, you know, this is not going into the right direction. We need to focus on renewables. So there is a little bit of a discrepancy in terms of the speech here. And at some point, you know, I was at a conference and I said, okay, there is about 30 billion cubic meters of gas flared in Africa. What about, you know, you guys investing in some measures in order to capture that flare gas and then using that in order to produce some fertilizer, which is very important for food security. And they were like completely, you know, I mean, trying to avoid the question in the end, which I think is a very, very bad thing to do. Uh, you know, Africa, I think there should be more concrete solutions uh, for Africa because their energy demand is going to increase uh, very substantially. Next point is the battle between coal and natural gas, which is mostly an Asian question, but not only. And maybe because, you know, there is quite a lot of focus on natural gas and trying to reduce natural gas, people are tending to forget that coal is still there. And despite the fact that coal has been pronounced dead for many, many years, coal is still around. Coal, I mean, yeah. you know, you, you look at what is happening in India, up. you know, they, they're increasing their production targets. So, like, and for many of these countries, coal is domestic and maybe coal is more affordable because there is no carbon price. I mean, coal is, of course, bringing a certain number of issues, including increased CO2 emissions. And also uh, it's very bad in terms of air pollution. But, you know, sometimes you need to put yourself, you know, in the foot of these countries. And I think, you know, I don't know what is going to happen in COP, but I would hope that the divide between the global south and, you know, the west and richer countries is going to get a little bit smaller because I had the impression that it was going wider and wider. Other point is that we are building a hell lot of LNG. 
where is this LNG going to go? And I think this is still a question mark because when I'm talking to gas people, they say, oh, you know, plenty of gas, don't worry, more and more gas. And nobody's asking the question about demand. Where is that LNG going to go? It seems that demand does exist no matter what. Well, maybe it does, but, you know, maybe it doesn't. So you need to ask yourself, how competitive is that natural gas going to be? Can it displace coal? And to what extent it can displace coal? And, and maybe finally, mm. I mean, you know, uh, it's funny because, okay, as a European, you know, sometimes uh, because I interact with a lot of Americans, I'm like, it's very strange. There are things that you you can't seem to be able to talk about, like U.S. gas demand. I mean, do you guys really think that U.S. gas demand is going to increase for the next 27 years up to 2050? I mean, you know, I, I organized a roundtable about a month and a half ago. And I designed the first session to be the impact of the IRA on the U.S. natural gas market with the expectations that we were going to talk mm. about CCUS, about methane emissions, and maybe about natural gas demand. Not a blip about U.S. gas demand. Like, there is no subject. That doesn't exist. I mean, it was not until, you know, somebody from Europe raised the question and said, by the way, you know, uh, the EIA and also the IA are forecasting that US gas demand is going to drop uh, this decade. What are you guys thinking? But, you know, finally, somebody was raising the issue and I was actually very happy for that to happen. But, I mean, US gas demand decline. I mean, you know, that would be good uh, for the environment that may also solve the problem of you know very rapidly increasing uh, needs for LNG exports and uh, you know some maybe some uncertainty about pipeline developments about US gas production but it seems that sometimes I have the impression that the question doesn't even exist and and and, mm. and, and I mean we yeah. need we need we need to reduce our carbon emissions at the end of the day you know this is quite important and and just you know um, I mean rule of thumb number, uh, uh, US uh, gas is about two gigaton of, uh, of CO2 emissions. So oh, it's, a little, it's a little bit high, but you know, this is in that sort of order of magnitude. So, you know, uh, what are we going to do? Are we going to build uh, this equivalent in terms of CCUS? Well, you need to build a hell lot of CCUS if you want to remove the emissions from uh, all the natural gas that you are using uh, in, in the United States. And, and it's not even possible to do that in the residential and commercial sector, where, in my opinion, there are a lot of, there is a lot of potential in terms of demand reduction. I mean, just, you know, energy efficiency in, in general. And and finally, you know, maybe we can hope that uh, there will be more renewable, which can, you know, uh, contribute to, okay, uh, reduce the coal generation, but maybe also reduce the gas fire generation eventually. Mm. And as you mentioned earlier on as well, the advance or re-advance of nuclear as well. Is Japan turning nuclear Indeed. power back on? You're seeing the same story in Taiwan or potentially that we covered earlier this year in the podcast, which has that whole story of, of increasing coal demand, you know, etc. So a fascinating and complex picture well i hope we can i hope we can have you back on in a year or so and and see where we stand but it's certainly been a an interesting and comprehensive look at uh, natural gas in 2023 and and some of the pathways uh, in going forwards thank you very much for the invitation thank you for listening if you enjoyed this episode and want to support the show please give us a positive review on apple podcasts or spotify to find out more about HC Insider and HC Group, a search and advisory firm dedicated to the commodity markets, visit our website 
at www.hcgroup.global. There you can find out more about our services and our offices around the world. There you can also find more content from interviews to insight pieces to more podcasts focused on the commodity value chains. Thanks again for listening.